purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Thanks for listening to the Higher Purpose Podcast. I am truly grateful and even humbled that you chose to listen to this conversation today. This is episode 89. That's unbelievable for me. And yet it's one more conversation in this series of what it means and what it takes to live, love, lead, and work in humans first fashion. This is now the 13th conversation in this series. And folks, these conversations just happened. They took a life of their own. It is the most vivid example of following flow in work that I've experienced in quite a while. I hope you've heard all of them. If not, I invite you to do so as these are some of the richest conversations I've hosted to date on this podcast. So my good friend, Mike Vacanti, founder of the Humans First Club, is the catalyst behind this conversation today. And I am so grateful that he insisted that Mark LaBusque and I persist until we could squeeze in an hour for this conversation. And we finally did it. I believe you are in for a treat because I know what a treat this conversation is and was for me. So let's get to it. Wow, Mark LaBusque, what a joy, pleasure, delight to welcome you today to the Higher Purpose Podcast and the series of conversations about humans first. Thanks for joining us. Kevin, thanks for having me. I know it's been difficult to sort of pin me down. I've been traveling all around your amazing country for the last period of time, but it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Oh, well, so tell us, what have you been doing and where are you at in this moment in time? Okay, so at the moment, I'm in a United Lounge in Washington, D.C. Now, where I've been since March the 2nd, first two weeks with my wife, vacationing from Atlanta into New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Vicksburg, Memphis, Nashville, attended the Work Human Conference in Nashville with 3,500 other amazing human beings, then off to New York City to work with Claude Silver at Vayner, and yesterday working in D.C. with the Human Workplace Conference with the BBG group, which was an amazing event. So about to head to L.A. and then head back to Australia on Sunday. All right. So there's a lot of that that's going to give us context, focus and springboards, energy for this conversation. But before we do any of that, in this moment, what is something you're grateful for? The friendships that I've made in this country in particular, which allow me to keep coming back and then meeting more people. So the gratefulness of people like Mike McCarty introducing me to people like yourself, Marcel, Claude. So I guess this this spirit of community is something that I'm very grateful for. And I will join you with that. There is just such a beautiful spirit of community. We were talking about that before we hit record. Anyway, yeah, it's just beautiful. This lovely bunch of group of generous, bright light souls. And it is a delight. So we have been balancing, trying to figure this out. And here we are, you're in an airport lounge about to catch a flight. But before you get off back to Australia, and then we really have time zone differences to 
manage. Here we are today. So, Mark, what's your favorite way of introducing you and the work you do? I mean, you get introduced by others. I'd love to allow you to introduce yourself to us. Yeah, well, look, I think it's a great question. Always difficult to answer, even though I have a thing. To me, my work's about allowing humans to be human. Hmm. It's as simple as that. So whether that be in the workplace, outside the workplace, in their communities, whatever it is, the magic that happens when you allow humans just to go back to fostering and creating connection and belonging is really what my work's all about. And from that, that's where businesses start to be successful. And I'm going to say this too, Kevin, they sustain the success because when you can act in the most human way possible, you will do great work. Okay, say that again. That's tweetable, folks. When you act in the most human way possible, you will do great work. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Mark. My pleasure. You're talking about you're wrapping up this month-long visit to the U.S. You've been in multiple conferences, met dozens, hundreds of people, I'm sure, you know, in passing and deeper conversations. What's different about the conversations you're having now, and not just in this trip, but, you know, in this season of time, regarding humanity and unleashing your humanity at work, welcoming humanity in the workplace, humans first, fashion focus, however you want to label that, compared to those that you were having, say, two years ago, three years ago? The word that comes to mind for me is appetite. There is a real appetite now, wherever I am, whether it be here in the US or back in Australia or speaking to people in the UK and whatnot, there's now an appetite for the conversation. I think there was fear for this conversation two years ago, even though people wanted to have it, perhaps they lacked the courage to bring it up because it's not a usual business conversation. The business conversation is usually about how you're tracking to your numbers. You know, am I going to get fired? Am I going to get laid off? Am I going to keep my job? So I better keep my head down and just shut up and do what I, what I should do. And the big change, I think, is that as one voice speaks, a second voice speaks and a third voice, and that's become thousands of voices. And That's the big change. I think people are now prepared to stand up and join what's going on. And that's creating opportunities like we see with great things like the Humans First Club, the work you're doing here, and the work we're doing globally now to put some human back into the workplace. All right. So let me take that a little deeper, Mark. Sure. The conversation specifically with leaders of organizations, are they more involved in the conversation than they were two years ago? How are those conversations different? I think the conversations are different. The way they're more involved is what they're starting to realise is that they have to drive this and they have to start to role model. And I used the term yesterday in DC, so they have to go first. That's right. What they're now doing is by stepping into it and going first themselves and starting the conversation, I think they're role modelling to their people. They believe in this. And then the second part of it is then they have to hold their nerve and stick to what they've talked. So walk their talk and That's what I see is different. It's not a compliance-based conversation now with leaders. It's a conversation based around intention, the good intention to bring back the human factor into the workplace. Oh, I love that. Thanks. So talk to us about your journey into this. And I heard something. I was listening and doing some homework on you. And I think you and I share a love for experimentation. So talk about the role of experimenting and what that's allowed you to discover about humanity at work? So I was fortunate enough back in 2014 to head off to Harvard and do a program called Adaptive Leadership for about eight days. And one of the big things that came out of that was the power of experimentation. And the thing I learned most is if you're going to experiment, 
the first experiment is you. It's you as the individual. So I'd started to experiment a bit around this whole idea of what would happen if I treated my people more like human beings in the workplace. So I'd started that off, but I was a little apprehensive given the system. The system hits back pretty hard if you start to bounce against the system. And then after I'd been there, I think I got the confidence in myself to say, just hold the line, go with the experiment. I'm going to say this too. Make sure that the experiment is not a dangerous one. Make sure you're doing small steps, safe experiments. So for me, experimentation starts with you. You have to be the experiment. You have to show that you're prepared to ask yourself the question and step into your own discomfort. And I think that's what's basically driven me now I think consciously thinks since 2014, but I think unconsciously for about the last 15 years is just when I think back now, I've just run a series of experiments. I ran an experiment as a young manager, which blew up in the face. I was a shocking, young, ambitious, egotistical manager who in the end got exactly what he deserved because of the way I treated people. Mm. And then I've experimented, you know, some 15 years later in a different way, which is more about the humanity and work and the outcomes have been different. So my suggestion to anyone listening to this is if you're going to run experiments, the first experiment you run is you. So give us a little guidance. What type of personal experiment might someone do or did you do? Yeah, so one of the, exper- the experiment of the humanizing the workplace, the experiment of walking into rooms with my peers and those above me and having a different opinion oh. and sharing that opinion and speaking my truth Sometimes it went pretty well, Kevin. Other times it didn't go so well. Someone would take me aside and say, you know, you're really not fitting in here. And I'd be like, the experiment's working. So I think that in itself, the ability to speak your truth and find the courage to do that is an experiment. And it's quite a daunting experiment. Other things, other experiments have been things around, you know, life design or what they call work-life balance is how do I just change some little things there in order to be able to turn up as a better human being. So, you know, whether it's work-life balance, whether it's speaking up, whether it's trusting, I did an experiment on trust. So instead of saying that I trust you when you deliver something for me, I started to say I trust you because I think you turn up with good intention to do good work. Now, that's a big experiment. That that is an interesting, right? And I see people at opposite ends of the spectrum. Some people are easy to trust and extend trust early And then if you violate trust, they withdraw it. Other people, you have to earn trust. They are untrusting from the get-go and trust must be earned. Yeah, yeah, look, I think, and look, you know, that's very, very different perspectives in that. And I think it's up to you as the individual to work out which one you want to go with. And I'm not critical of, you know, I work to trust in first now, but I'm not critical of those who don't because I also know history comes into it as well. And when people get burnt by others, Sometimes that's just the way that they are. So I think it's a decision that people have to consciously make. So here's what I heard and what I want to extend to you listening. If you are slow to trust, what's a safe, small experiment you could conduct to do what Mark did? Trust earlier and extend some trust. That's not like giving somebody, you know, the keys to the whole bank account. But what's a small thing you could do to just see what if I was different? in how I relate to my team with trust. That's a type of experiment you're talking about, right? Absolutely. I think it's a great point. And again, it's a small thing. I think sometimes in the crazy world of work and whatnot, we, we, sit, we tend to set these big goals and we don't do the old incremental improvements. So, you know, I'm going to 
I guess, really, really emphasise to the listeners here is start safe yeah. and start small and just keep building from there. Well, Mark, when I think of experiments, I always give a shout out to my friend and mentor, Rich Sheridan, the CEO of Menlo Innovations and author of Joy Inc. and Chief Joy Officer. But when I first met Rich, one of the things he shared with me that just stuck with me is, Kevin, around here, we don't boil the ocean and we don't burn the ships. We just run a small, safe experiment and see yeah. what happens. And Mark, that really gave me freedom because I was one of those, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And, and it's really hard for perfectionists to run experiments, right? Yeah. yeah, I agree. Because with an experiment, you don't know what's going to happen. So if you just say, hey, we're not going to boil the ocean, we're just going to do something small and see what happens. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, look, look, this is, I think this is really important that people can start to step away from, you know, I'm going to say splitting the atom, I call it. We don't have to split the atom. We just have to come along and do, do small things that end up working us to there. Okay, so there's one small experiment or part of this experiment I think I heard that I'd love for you to unpack with us, if you will. And that was when you first began including some personal goals in what would be considered your professional work of your team. And beginning to say, hey, I'm actually going to incent you in your job to grow as a person. Talk about that. When I heard that, Mark, I mean, just this big old smile like you see now hit my face. I'm like, what a beautiful way. Yeah, look, and again, this is from the whole two-year experiment. This is one part of an experiment. And one of my most exciting and I think most fulfilling parts was this, where I got my team to, without notice, draw a circle on a page and then work out how they were spending their 168 hours a week across sleeping, working, self-time, family time and community time. And they really struggled because they weren't actually conscious of what they were doing. I then gave them the challenge to say, what does that look like in 12 months' time mm. if you had a chance to change some things? And still, they, and then what do you fear? And they, their big fear was they wouldn't get their work done. So... I then asked them to do a two-week audit, like a proper formal audit using an Excel spreadsheet to look at those things. And what came back was some pretty astounding things around, well, I actually can't account for 24 hours in my day. And, or I'm, you know, I'm not getting any self-time or I'm not spending enough time with my family or whatever it might be. So what I then asked them to do was to set a goal for self, a goal for family and friends and a goal for community. And after they did that, we then set those goals into their performance plan. And because they were in the sales environment, Kevin, I was able to put 15% of their at-risk bonus against those three things. So 5% for self, 5% for family, and 5% for community. The greatest example was a fellow who worked for me by the name of Greg, who over two years, because we became more conscious of this, and and again, work's still important, Greg reduced his face-to-face work hours by 22 and a half hours per week. (laughs) From what to what? I mean, 22 and a half hours, what was he working? 60, 70 hours? And- yeah, yeah, and he dropped it back down. And at the same time, his goals were to go for a walk on the beach with his wife two nights a week, was to reduce his golf handicap and to speak at a local school about leadership. And um, he got his 15% for doing that, hit his targets by 275 and 427% two years in a row. I'm sorry, wait a minute. When you say hit his targets... Just these 15% of targets or his No, 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 this is his, his overall sales target. That's what I thought, yeah. 
you know, 427% in year two. And this is with a guy now working four and a half hours less per day. And, mm. Mm. you know, and the interesting thing, and I'll take this a little bit further, he used to take his laptop on holidays with him and he went to do that one time, as we all do. He went to do that one time and I told him not to and he got quite angry. So I said, the best thing for us to do is we'll ring your wife and we'll have a democratic vote on this. We've got three people, we'll all have a vote. So he <laughs> rang his wife and he got voted out two to one. Mm. But he came back and he said, that was one of the best holidays I've had because, mm. you know, I, I wasn't sort of wedded and trapped in the work mode. So that experiment in itself, I think mm. one of the most powerful ones that we did. And just to add on to that, people will be thinking now, how did you keep them accountable? I created what I called a balanced buddy system where every four weeks, two of them got together and they, they actually checked in on each other to make sure that they were achieving the goals they'd set out to achieve. And, you know, this stuff isn't kumbaya stuff and warm and fluffy. This has to be accountable. And there's an ability to create a, the accountability for this through peer coaching and some peer mentoring. And I'm going to say some peer pressure. So it was a great experiment. And, I used to spoke about it again yesterday in DC and the reaction you had to Greg's reduction in work hours is what I see all around the world. People just like, what? So that's pretty cool. It is. And I think it is counterintuitive to people to think, wow, what if I work less and accomplished more? Because we just live in this hustle and grind culture that rewards long hours and hard work, regardless of the impact or regardless of the outcome. It's not what are the results you're producing. There's a badge of honor to working 70 hours a week in many companies. And what I'd like to find, I'd like to find the person invented this crazy saying, doing more with less. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that became big buzzword, but doing more with less basically means we're going to move people on. Mm. And we're going to squeeze every little inch of life out of everyone else left in the business. And it basically dehumanizes work. Mm. So Mark, first off, I want to thank you for sharing this because this is where in a lot of conversations I'm having with people, they're like, well, but I love these big ideas, but what does it look like in practice? What does it look like in action? And what you just shared were some very practical, very actionable. And I love this balanced buddy system where you're just allowing people to pair up and hold one another accountable for their personal growth and how they are investing their time. And it's not forced. It's just encouraged. And, and that's, I think that's important. It is encouraged. It's not a forced thing. Mind you, if I was talking to my team and they couldn't tell me where their buddy was at with their goals, I'd actually give them a fair swift kick up the backside because it was important that they knew that. Okay, so now I appreciate you saying that because there are people that back when you were talking about how the conversations changed, there's some people that when they hear this, they think, oh, oh gosh, this is all just warm and fluffy. This is all sit around the campfire, hold hands, sing kumbaya. And can we get real? You know, but you're saying it's a balance of the tough and the soft. There's a great phrase that, again, when I was at Harvard, there was a professor from Georgia, and his name is Thomas Will, who's a good friend of mine now. And he said to me at the end of the program, he said, you practice duality really well. And I'm like, what's duality? The ability to hug someone and kick them in the backside at the same time. And I think that's what the human work is. Yeah. 
Well, as my friend Rich Sheridan put it in his book, Chief Joy Officer, he was talking about love. He said, the real test of love is can we practice tough love without being harsh? Which is the whole thing I talk to people about as well is the difference between empathy and sympathy. Okay. And that's really important is that, you know. Riff on that a minute for us. Well, people who, you know, when you're human and you do this work properly, you're not a pushover. And the pushovers practice sympathy. Mm. I feel sorry for you. The human managers practice empathy. I hear what you're saying and I can understand that. However, you know. I'm going to up the ante. We need to go. Absolutely. We're going to push the ante up. We're going to put you into comfortably uncomfortable. And if you're not prepared to go there, then we have to have another conversation about whether or not this is the place for you to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Something else I've heard you talk about, and I believe is so important to this conversation. And it's something you have a to-be list, not just a to-do list. Talk about that, because I love that idea. So just at the start of my book, I talk about this whole idea that we are called human beings, but we've become human doings. And again, when I talk to people, I ask them if they have a to-do list. And everyone's got a to-do list for work, outside of work, wherever they might be. And most people have got such a long list, they've got, they never get anything achieved. So I have this idea in my head that what if we started to think more about the being side of things and we created a to-be list? So to give you an example, every day I have what I call the 50-day humanovation challenge. So how do we innovate ourselves as a human being? And what I challenge people to do is to be very intentional every day about what's your choice today on how you're going to be how are you going to behave, how are you going to turn up? And you know, mine is authentic. And then the other one, I have a second one close behind, which is provocative. And so they're my choices each day. Now, what I say then, Kevin, is if you put being before doing, the doing happens so much better because yeah. you've become intentional about it. And I challenge people who are listening to this to simply start that 50-day challenge and start to say, what is my choice? And it might even be not just one word for the day. It might be a word for when you walk into a meeting with another department that you don't like. You can choose to be a resistor or you can choose to be a collaborator or you can choose to co-create, whatever it might be, or you can choose to be obnoxious. But you're going to get what you deserve from the, the choice of what you choose to be. So this has become a big part of the work I do with people in creating and heightening their awareness of how they turn up. Hmm. I love that. Wow. Okay. So do you have anything written? Can we point people to someplace that helps them? I would love to encourage everyone listening to take this 50 day challenge. I love challenges too. experiments, challenges. At the moment, what I've created at the minute, it looks like an A5, 50 page A5 pad sheet with these sheets on it, which they're on my shop site. But what I'm actually working on at the moment is I'm actually going to build an online 50-day human innovation challenge and I'm working on that right now so I want to be able to get people to sign up for it okay and they can go online and what I want them to do each day is to actually share yeah what their choice was and then just give us some words around that why have you chosen to be open why have you chosen to be present why have you chosen to be resistant mm. and what I want to do is I guess create a community of a few thousand people there just to be listening to what others are putting up there as well you know building this abundance we talk about yeah so keep an eye out for that and I think it's Probably going to still be about a month away, but I'll be putting that onto my website, onto LinkedIn and some other things. So encouraging people to join up. I will do that. This time, about this time last year, a little later, we conducted a 13-week, what we called the Extraordinary Experiment. 
And it was uh, 13 weeks where there was a challenge each week built on the premise that most of us are just ordinary people, most of us. But what distinguishes an ordinary person from an extraordinary life is just doing certain things with focus, flair, and intentionality. And when we do that, what was ordinary becomes extraordinary. So I love this 50-day human humanvation. Humanvation. So humanvation. The, is we, the big buzzword in work is innovation. Yep, yep. And I say before you can do, it's like being and doing. Before you can do innovation, you have to do humanvation. You need to change yourself. I love it. Love it. So, yeah, please keep me posted and I'm going to share about that because I just believe that's so important. And it's just simple. These little things you can do to choose to show up differently. Provocation. I want to visit there because I did not. Well, I do think I saw something about you being a provocateur. I didn't know at that time that was so part and parcel of your identity. So when I think about provocation, what's the end of that? Is that awakening others to the humanity around them, the humanity within them? Or, yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things. This goes back to self-awareness, and it also goes back to what's really going on in the room. So when I work with people, they want to talk about the five-year plan. They want to talk about revisiting their values and all of these sorts of things. When in the room, there's really other stuff going on. People who are practicing what I call the art of masquerading dysfunction as functionality in the business. So I have an offer that I've used with intact teams called provoking with purpose, where my role in the room is to first of all set the frame about what we're going to do. But for me to be really observational on the little things, Kevin, like people rolling their eyes when someone else speaks, people almost unconsciously moving their chair out of the circle that we sit in. Mm. They don't realise it or they turn their body away. And for me, my, my invitation when I get permission to do it then is to call those things out. And now... I do it with, I'm going to use, again, some of this adaptive terminology. I do it with three things in mind. First one is with, I do it with good intention. The second one is I do it to help the group make progress. And the third one is I do it in the service of the people in the room. When they start to understand that and we start to do the work, and the work, I'm going to tell you, the work gets a bit risky and it gets a bit scratchy and it gets a bit aggressive and it gets a bit tearful. But what I'm trying to help people do is to get past the facade that they put on when they walk into the workplace and deal with the real things. It's the work that most facilitators put in the parking lot. <laughs> and we've all seen that. You know what happens to the parking lot? They just park it there. They never deal it with it. It never gets visited. Oh, we're going to come back to that, right? Yeah. What I have in my room is I have a sheet that says it's too hard. <laughs> I love that, Mark. And we write that up and then we deal with it. We get to it. And look, and I'll also say this. This work doesn't get done in two days. My clients are usually investing in this for one to two and some of them up to three years now because what they're prepared now to do is to continually be provoked purposefully to get better. And back to your point at the start, this is more about the individual's awareness, which then builds into the group's awareness, which then builds into the organisation's awareness of you know, the dysfunctionality and the dehumanised systems that are keeping them exactly where they want them to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before our time gets away from us, there's something else I just have to explore with you and it's going to get personal. Yeah. Why does belonging matter? Yeah. For those, there's a, you may have seen my video that I put out about the why this, why now and why me. And 16 years ago, I lost my dad to suicide and 
he had two attempts to do that. And after his first one, he'd left us a note which talked a lot about being a burden and not belonging anymore and sort of really holding the rest of us back. And it's something I think about every day. And, you know, I work to this, these four words, which is making every human belong, really is driven by an event from 16 years ago that I see a lot of it, Kevin. We humans crave two things, deep connection and a strong sense of belonging. And I think that, you know, for me, every day that I get up and every day that I put my head back on the pillow, it's been a good day when I feel like I've helped to help one person feel like they belong because I, was, I went through a very, very tragic circumstance where someone that I loved dearly didn't feel that anymore and mm. you know, there was nothing that we, everything we tried to do just couldn't quite get it to where we needed it to get to. So, you know, that's why I do this work. That's why this work doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like something more than work. And that's what people say to me. You don't, it doesn't seem like you're working. And I go, no, I'm not. I'm doing what I'm here to do. And that is, I guess, work through what happened and try and make sure that, you know, these sort of things don't happen in the workplace. Because I think in work, we are, for a, for a species that craves belonging, workplaces have become places of social isolation through yeah. redundancies, through restructures, through right size and all those things. And, I just wonder why, if there's any other species on this planet mm. that practices social isolation like we humans, and I think the answer to that is no. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I want to dig a wee bit deeper on this, if I may. And sure. over the last three to five days, pick one night when your heads hit the pillow and what was it you were reflecting on that day that allowed you to have a sense of satisfaction that I helped someone feel they belonged today? I'm going to say the work with Dana Media. I worked with their entertainment team on Tuesday this week and we did some pretty tough human work. So, you know, getting down to things like self-limiting beliefs, what you are awesome at, and then a really tough piece of work on setting a goal and then becoming conscious why you weren't achieving the goal. And you've got to start to have some pretty tough conversations with yourself. And what I saw happen in the room over four hours was people being courageous enough to step in and support and help each other. And even before the end of that day, someone coming back into the room after we'd finished and just saying, look, I just want to say to you that I started the day absolutely terrified of what was going to happen. And I told people in the room, she said, I, I don't think I can do this work. Mm. And I'm like, that's okay. That's fine. But space was safe enough for her to do that work in the end. So when I put the head on the pillow that night for that particular person who was there, it's like, she came back in and said, thank you very much for allowing me to do that. And I said, well, you did the work. I just created the space. So that makes me feel pretty good. And that I know that she was happy. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. When we're talking about putting humans first, there's a name and a face with what that looks like to us. We're not just talking about this big, broad concept. But that night, when your head hit the pillow, there's one person's face that you're seeing. And you are able to say, I created a space. I love what you said. She did the work. Mm. I just created a space, invited her in, made it possible. Yeah. And I think there's, we've got to start using the word permission more and less of the word empowerment. It's mm. not about empowering them to do it. It's about giving them permission yeah. to step into that space. And <laughs> I don't think there's been too many nights when the heads hit the pillow where I haven't been able to say to myself, and if it's one human at a time, back to the idea of small goals. I sort of work to one human at a time. Mm -hmm. And if that's what I can do, yeah. and I do one of those a day, 
and then they impact on someone and it compounds. I think that's the work of, of what you're doing here, the work that Mike's doing with Humans First is that this is starting to compound. Hmm. So I want to tie this back before we stop talking about belonging, but all of this is about belonging, so we get that. But you made a statement earlier that just kind of stuck in my head, Mark. You talked about when you started this journey that there was a difference between belonging versus fitting in here. I know. I just know this for a fact. I know there are people listening to this conversation who have a longing for belonging but feel they do not fit in in their current situation at work. Let's be a provocateur or be a comforter and encourager. What would you say to that person? So what I'd say to that person is the place you've got to start to understand why you are in that position is with yourself. So the question I'd say to put to yourself is what's your part in the mess that you find yourself in? And then I'll add this is the difference. And I'll talk about, again, this community that we're building here. The difference is, is, when I was in the workplace, I worked damn hard just to fit in and to make sure that I didn't push the system too hard so the system wouldn't bounce back on me. So a lot of the energy is used on just, I'm going to say, being unremarkable or being average. When I look at the community I'm in now, in the last four years, Humans First, my business, the work you're doing with these podcasts, the Claude Silvers of the world, there's a sense of true belonging now. I don't have to feel like I fit in because I know I'm where I should be. Yeah. And the advice to people is that you've got to hold your nerve and do the hard work because this is the hardest work you do and it's the work of self. But once you can do this work, you'll be able to look outwards and do the other work as well. Wow. Woo! Mark, this is just fun, my friend. This is our first time ever conversing, connecting. Thank you, Mike Vacanti, for insisting and just saying this conversation really needs to take place. Mark, wow, this is so, so beautiful. One of the ways I say this, because I realize I've been weird all my life. I've been called weird. I've been ostracized for being weird. I've been alien. I've been fired for being weird. But what I finally realized in recent years is I'm not weird. I'm just wired differently. Yeah. If you go into my website, you might see a little bit of a thing that says, I work to see different, be different, do different. And I think that's why this work is working because it's what people are looking for. They're sick of the sameness and they're, they're wanting something to be real. And people often say to me, what I like about you is you say what we want to say, but we can't. Yeah. Like, well, that's cool. But now you've got to explore why you can't say it. So Mark, before we conclude this conversation, is there something that just allows you to, you know, bring all of these things we've talked about to a fitting close and I can tell you, this is not going to be the last conversation. So we're not ending this conversation. We're just wrapping up this part for now. So let's go back to experimentation because I think this is where it all starts. And I'm going to suggest to the listeners that the first experiment they run is to ask themselves these three questions. And the questions are, why this? Why now? And why me? And that could have something to do with starting your own business. It might have something to do with a particular work situation that you're facing that is challenging for you but you've got to start there and particularly on that why me question mm. is you've got to delve pretty deeply into that and understand what are the things that are you're doing that are useful for you what are the things you're doing that are not useful and be prepared to sit with that so I think that's the starting point for any experimentation and understanding that in order to lead and manage others you must be able to lead and manage yourself first mm. Mm. 
Beautiful, beautiful way to wrap this one up. Now, Mark, I know there are people that are listening to this that want more of Mark LaBusk in their lives. How do they do that? There's a couple of ways. My website is simply www.marklabusk.com. So they can go on there and they can see information on my human manager experience on provoking with purpose. The book, Being Human, is on there as well. For the US listeners, overseas listeners, the book, Being Human, is on Amazon. So it can be picked up there. And there's a couple of podcasts, one with Claude Silver called Humans Across Hemispheres which we've only done a couple of episodes because we just haven't been able to find the time to keep it going. And the other one is called The Real Leadership Podcast with a colleague in Australia by the name of Kate Bora. So you can check those out as well. But that's probably it for me as far as that goes. Obviously, LinkedIn, there's Twitter and all those sorts of things. But LinkedIn is my preferred option. If you want to connect, jump onto LinkedIn, look me up. There's not many Mark LaBusks in the world. (laughs) Both by name and by nature, I'll say there. And yeah, just look me up there. But mate, I want to say thank you very much. This has been an amazing hour. And I think the work you're doing is very, very useful for everybody. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for joining us. And wow, thank you for contributing to this series of conversations about what it means to live, love, work, lead in humans first fashion. Thank you. Okay. I hope your cup is overflowing the way mine is at this moment, just concluding this conversation a few moments ago. There is so much goodness here, and I can't recap it all without repeating the whole conversation, so just go ahead and hit replay and listen again. And here's what's true. I know some of you will actually do that. I know I'll be one of those. I'm limiting myself to three takeaways because, like I said, I don't want to make the whole thing a replay for you. Create your to-be list and find ways to incorporate that into your life. And I'm going to share, here are three things that have been on my to-be list for the past three-plus years now. Every day, 5 a.m., midday, and then at 5 p.m., these three words go off on my iPhone. Radiant, abundant, present. That's how I want to be and how I want to show up in the world. So find something that helps you with that. Because as Mark said, if you focus on being first, the doing is actually easier. Love that, Mark. And I'll tell you now, I'm going to do some additional pondering on this one point, the distinction Mark made between permission and empowerment. As soon as he said it, that immediately resonated with me. And folks, your humanity is within you. It's not external to you. It's in you. No one needs to empower you to be more human or to get in touch with your humanity at work. I can't give you your humanity, but I can awaken it within you and call it out of you and make it safe for you to show up with your full self. Wow, that's a wow moment for me. And then finally this, have you ever, or maybe more to the point for those of you that are right now in this moment, spending massive amounts of energy being unremarkable? Now think about that. What does it take to be unremarkable? It takes an intentional or a deliberate effort to silence parts of yourself, to edit yourself or suppress your humanity at work because your humanity is not welcome where you are 
or maybe for some of you where you were. If that's you, I echo with Mark and invite you to do the hard work and deep work of asking yourself, why this? Why now? And why me? And find your path forward. Your path forward may be out or it may be through. Find your path forward. Well, you know, I truly love knowing what's rolling through your mind as a result of listening and engaging in the rich conversations we host here. And I'm having a lot of those on LinkedIn now. So if you're on LinkedIn, please connect with me, join the conversation there, and and let's continue discussing what you're taking away from these series of conversations. If you're not on LinkedIn, you can email me at kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. Let me know what you're thinking or pick up the phone and call me, 678-744-5111. Hey, until next week when we connect again, I invite and encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Are you wanting to grow as a human's first leader and connect in meaningful conversation with other human's first leaders? Join the Human's First Book Club, where they dive deep into a book a month and engage the authors in conversation. Go to humansfirstbookclub.com. 